Welcome to Beyond the Text, the podcast dedicated to exploring intellectual history with depth and context. In a world filled with quick takes, we're here to dive deeper. I'm your host, Samuel Woodall, and in each episode, we'll uncover overlooked aspects of historical and intellectual narratives. Join us as we voyage into the evolution of ideas, tracing the influences that shaped them and uncovering their profound impact on the world. So let's embark on this journey together, transcending the confines of words and delving into the essence of thought. Join me as we venture beyond the text to discover the hidden stories that shape our understanding. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Text. I hope you enjoyed the special four-part series on Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Now we're back to the study of intellectual history throughout the ages with the next episode, Meddling with the Medieval. This episode of the podcast takes you on a journey through the intellectual landscape of the medieval era. I'm your host, Samuel Woodall, and today we're diving deep into the world of medieval scholars. But first, a quick shout out to Dr. Rory Cox for his invaluable guidance and supervision in making this episode and my education in the area possible. Today we're going to explore how the medieval thinkers bridged the gap between the wisdom of the ancient world and the dawn of Christian thought. Many believe that intellectual history took a hiatus between the enduring insights of the ancients and the resurgence of learning during the Renaissance and Enlightenment. But two remarkable scholars, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, managed to preserve and transmit the knowledge of antiquity into the realm of burgeoning Christian philosophy. Before we delve into the works of these two scholars, let's set the stage. Within a mere century, Christianity evolved from a persecuted minority in the Roman Empire to becoming the dominant faith under Emperor Constantine. This shift was not only a transformative experience in the political and social fabric of the time, but also a crucible for new and innovative thinking. Let's start then with the Christianization of the Roman Empire. Our journey begins with St. Augustine, who in his seminal work, The City of God, introduced a binary perspective on humanity. He created a stark divide between the faithful and the heretical, a division known as the City of God and the City of Man. Augustine's paradigm recognised that all mortal souls bore an inherent massa peccati, often translated as the lump of sin, or even the lump of filth. According to him, some would be saved and find refuge in the city of God, while others would be damned to the city of man. For Augustine, the temporal realm was fundamentally corrupt and sinful, leading him to advocate a withdrawal from politics. He believed that humanity's only path was a rejection of the political world, seeing it as a morally tainted domain. In Augustine's view, the fall from Eden marked a decline, and he saw the earthly city as a place of chaos, It's only within the confines of the church, the rational soul, that humanity could find a path to peace, guided by a higher purpose. Augustine's negative stance on politics contrasts sharply with our second medieval scholar, St Thomas Aquinas. So then, let's turn our attention to St Thomas Aquinas, who viewed politics as a force for good, enabling the attainment of virtue within society. In his monumental work, The Summer Theologica, 
Aquinas structured his text as a dialectical call and response, marked by the Latin ad contra distinction. Aquinas sought to ground God's goodness in the natural world and the order that existed within it. He drew inspiration from the perfection in the arrangement of celestial bodies, arguing that God's goodness must be intrinsic to his design. This laid the foundation for what was referred to as natural theology, an idea that would later be picked up by Pascal. When it comes to the organisation of politics, Aquinas believed in the hierarchy of laws. At the top there was divine or eternal law, which originated directly from God's scriptures. Below that, there was natural law, derived from observing the world and understanding God's intentions. Finally, human law, formulated by magistrates, was rooted in both the divine and natural laws. For Aquinas, these laws were meant to imitate nature, just as art imitates nature in human society. In his view, the divine spark was the ultimate foundation for the state, whether in the form of eternal or natural law. The Aristotelian texts that Aquinas incorporated into his pagan Christian synthesis provided a toolkit for uncovering this divine grounding, rather than prescribing specific ideas or thoughts. As we wrap up this first section of Meddling with the Medieval, we've laid the groundwork for understanding how St Augustine and St Thomas Aquinas navigated the delicate intersection of ancient wisdom and Christian doctrine. In the next section, we'll explore whether the medieval period saw an Aristotelian revolution and then question the meaning of what a revolution itself means in history. Stay tuned for more as we continue our journey through the medieval minds. Welcome back to Meddling with the Medieval. In our last section, we explored the contrasting views of St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas as they navigated the intersection of ancient wisdom and Christian doctrine. Now we're diving into a crucial question. Was there truly an Aristotelian revolution during the medieval period? Let's investigate. After immersing ourselves in the works of Augustine and Aquinas, it's time to ponder the idea of an Aristotelian revolution. The medieval era was a time of intellectual ferment, where ideas were transmitted in various forms. Among them, commentaries played a significant role. These commentaries revolved around a central decretal, and the surrounding commentary provided insights. It's important to note that while the standard commentary was prevalent, it wasn't universal, suggesting that there was room for debate and controversy, highlighting the dynamic nature of thought in the era. Another crucial aspect was the translation of texts. It was through these translations that ideas were interpreted, offering valuable insights into the era's intellectual climate. Additionally, the Florilegia, which were encyclopedic compilations of manuscripts, played a pivotal role in shaping medieval thought. Often, excerpts from Florilegia merged with commentaries, underscoring their shared importance in the formation of ideas during that time. Furthermore, handbooks of political thought, like the Mirror of Princes, were created, offering practical guidance. When considering the context of the supposed Aristotelian revolution, we find a significant shift in the semantic field. 
Scholars embrace the linguistic aspects of naturalist philosophy, especially notable in the methodology of Aquinas's Summa Theologica. Here, the focus was on the method itself. All the commentaries mentioned earlier shared a common focus on Aristotle's politics, specifically in Book 3 of the Politics, which expounds on the concept of humans as social animals who, when together, can achieve greater results collectively. If we indeed consider this to be an Aristotelian revolution, we can place it at around the year 1250 with the rediscovery of Aristotle's politics. This marks a significant epistemological shift, separating the pre-Aristotelian and post-Aristotelian periods. The concept of naturalism, derived from Aristotle's politics, overtook previous modes of thought. If an Aristotelian revolution exists, it found its catalyst in the resurrection of the politics. Yet this notion opens the door to more profound questions. What constitutes a revolution of knowledge? Must it be a single static point in time? Or can it be a cultural moment that evolved over time, catalyzed by the naturalism uncovered in the politics? In this text, Aristotle argues that political rule in the city-state is a natural occurrence. Scholars like Aquinas were then able to use this Aristotelian framework to establish a natural law hierarchy as a foundation for human law in the state, blending pagan ideas with Christian beliefs. Prior to the publication of the politics, establishing such a holistic grounding for the state was challenging, as there were only fragmentary excerpts from ancient works in various florilegia. The ability to forge new intellectual paths was further constrained before the mid to late 13th century by the condemnations of 1210 to 1277, which condemned creative writings that deviated from the orthodox faith of Rome. Paradoxically, these condemnations stimulated public reaction, creating a fluctuating opinion on Aristotle, allowing Aquinas and others to critique him without fear. This evolving perspective enabled a shift in moral scholasticism. Another milestone was the birth of modern science in 1277, further solidifying the late 13th century as a time of profound change. What this narrative ultimately reveals is that before 1250, there was indeed a build-up to a revolution in knowledge, with commentaries, translations and florilegia providing glimpses into ancient thought. However, by 1250 and beyond, there was both a revolution and a counter-revolution revolving around Aristotle and the politics. In conclusion, it's clear that there wasn't a strict singular moment of revolution. Instead, there was a continuous and evolving process of thought over a more extended period. The medieval era was a time of significant change, punctuated by shifting perspectives and debates, ultimately contributing to the emergence of modern political thought. As we've traversed the medieval intellectual landscape, we've encountered the profound insights of St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, who bridged ancient wisdom with emerging Christian thought. The contrast between their views offered a window into the complexities of the era. In our quest to understand the Aristotelian revolution, we found that it wasn't a sudden burst but a gradual transformation, with the revival of Aristotle's politics serving as a turning point. The medieval period was a dynamic intellectual crucible, shaped by commentaries, translations and philosophical dialogues. In summary, 
The medieval era's interplay of ideas and evolving perspectives has left an indelible mark on modern thought. It's a testament to the rich tapestry of intellectual history that continues to influence our world today. Join us in the next episode of Beyond the Text, where I will be exploring the annals of intellectual history further. Thank you for listening today, and until next time, keep learning, keep exploring, and keep delving into the threads of ideas that lie beyond the text.